You're listening to the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast, a place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development. Showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. Your host, Olivia, here, and I have a first ever clairvoyant medium here today. Her name is Bernadette Gold, and she is an author, a no-nonsense clairvoyant medium, spiritual teacher, master healer, and conscious leader and coach, facilitating rapid breakthroughs that create insights leading to quantum leaps in health, happiness, and prosperity. She runs a successful practice using her skills and spiritual gifts to guide successful high achievers to their highest path and purpose connected to spirit. Bernadette also facilitates group coaching programs where she helps her clients clear old wounds, beliefs, and trauma, creating a new energetic paradigm that leads to elevated income, increased impact, and fulfillment in all areas of life. She recently launched a, released a book, um, The Crooked Path to a Charmed Life, A Clairvoyant Medium's Journey to Embracing Her Spiritual Gifts. I am so honored to have you as a guest. Guys, check out her links in the show notes below. Thank you so much, Bernadette, for joining me today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So what led you to start to write your book? So this has been a seven-year project. Um, It's been a long time in coming because it's my story. Oh, geez, my dog. Sorry about that. Um, Because it's my personal story, it was very hard to write because I've been through a whole lot in my life. And Spirit prompted me to write it many years ago. I was waiting for my children to grow up. um, And I really want to empower women and men, but primarily women who have been through abuse, have been through traumatic childhoods, have had to experience things like I did, where my daughter was molested and my whole life fell apart. You know, and I'm a single mom. I'm like, okay, now what? And have had to walk through the healing of their lives to give them hope and inspiration that, yeah, if I can get through my life, oh, you can get through yours with some power. How, how did you find out your daughter was molested? How did I find out? Yeah. So that, uh, it was an interesting time in my life because I was just going through kind of the awareness and breaking away from the church into more just spirituality. know, and I was waitressing and this man walked in one day and handed me a copy of the Celestian prophecy. It was back in the nineties and said, I'll be back. Let's talk about this. And he came back a few days later and I ate up the book. And it was the first book that I was like, Oh my God, he's talking about energy. I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Cause back then there weren't that many books out there. There really just weren't. Um, and he came back and he said, if you could do anything in your life just for fun, what would it be? Well, I had been writing songs and whatnot. And I said, I'd go into the studio and just record a couple of my songs. And he said, okay. And literally within days, I had $10,000 wired to me from his bank account 
And he said, go into the studio and record. And I'm like, holy cow, this is just crazy, right? This is the first like kind of experience too for really manifesting because I teach manifesting and have for a number of years. Well, when I was in the studio, I had gotten separated from my husband. We were going through divorce um, and my daughter went to see him and he hadn't seen her for six months. So when I came out of the studio, a couple weeks maybe went by, not even that long. And she had revealed to my sister that daddy did some stuff to her. And then everything changed. And I took her to the sexual assault center and they examined her and they said, you know, likely that she's been molested. There's things that a three-year-old should not know about. Like three-year-olds don't know about putting something inside you. You don't know you have an inside when you're three, Mm -hmm. you know? So we went through that whole thing and it was a mess. It was a total mess. He didn't get prosecuted or anything, but I was able to get a free attorney. Um, and she helped lock down any rights to her. You know, I was very grateful the way that that unfolded. And then we left and we moved and our lives went on, but she told my sister, there was something on TV that day. Cause my sister was babysitting her and I came home and she goes, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, what? Like, it's not something I ever thought about would happen to my kid. I mean, I was a young mother too. I think I was what, 20, 27 at the time when that happened, you know, it's hard enough to be a a mother, let alone hearing this thing just rip through your life. So our whole lives changed at that point. I imagine so. And so many children are molested. One in five. Yeah. Back, back then, I don't know what the numbers are now. Um, but back then it was one in five. I couldn't even go to the park with her after that. We would go to the park and I'd find myself counting kids and looking which one out of these five, which one out of those five, like it was ridiculous what it did to me, you know, I, and I stopped trusting men and everyone blamed me. You should have not. How was I supposed to know this when I married this man and had his child? Right. How, how would you know that you can't leave your daughter with her father? Well, and the weird thing, I mean, good thing, but I was, I stayed home with her because she had some health issues when she was born. Um, so until that happened, until we separated, she'd never been alone with him. I was always around because I was a stay at home mom, you know, right circumstances. And in a lot of ways, I really feel like it was a spiritual attack. And if you read the book, you understand more why I think that, you know, it's hard to prove those things, but there were a lot of things that led up to other things happening within the church and in the little creepy little town we lived in where other kids were getting molested that like just came out of the blue. So, yeah. And how did you handle that trauma? At first, I wanted to kill myself, honestly. I mean, at first, they're, they're, first, you don't want to believe it. You know, you go into, it's, it's like any grief. You go into denial. This couldn't have happened. This didn't happen. You know, and I remember being in the bathtub and the, the people at the sexual assault center said, you can't let her see you be upset because it can re-traumatize her. So I'm trying to be stoic and hold it together and act like this is no big deal, and I'm not processing it. My family abandoned me because they couldn't handle what had happened. My dad, bless his heart, 
he wanted to kill him. He actually had friends call me and be, were like, if you want, <laughs> can make him disappear. And there's that split moment where I'm like, yes, but that's not me. Um, so I was in the bathtub one night and this is when I knew it happened. And I was quietly crying in the bathtub and I forgot to lock the door. And all of a sudden I hear her in my ear. Don't cry, mommy. I'll tell the police it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, shoot, it happened. Like, this is real. And so I had to accept it. And, and yet every part of me was just like, you can't, you can't go on like this. And I wanted to die, you know, and part of me was like, oh, no, I take her out too, because this is going to destroy her life for the rest of her life. And, and I'm a psychic. I should have seen this come, you know, there's all these things. And everyone that knew me back then were, they were like, how come you didn't know? Well, it doesn't work like that. As a psychic, you don't get to know everything. Same with like when I'm when I'm around people, I don't get to read their minds and I don't try to read their lives like that's not how that works. Some things are meant to be gone through. And I really believe through my abuse as a child and even my daughter's abuse, if it hadn't been for all of that, I don't think I would have the skills I have now to help people. Going through it, did I think that way? No, I thought, God, why are you letting this happen to me? You know, why, why are you abandoning me? Like, what did I do? So, yeah. How were you able to also like bring your daughter through that? Like, you know, going forward, how were you able to, you know, allow, make it so she was took a few years. Yeah. It took a few years. I mean, I share in, in the book, which was very scary for me to share with the world. Um, after we moved back to California, and she was enrolled in school. It was a couple of years later. She started having massive behavioral problems. Back then they labeled it ADHD. They didn't know about PTSD and the trauma that someone endures and that they're still traumatized. So they labeled her ADHD back then. But during that time period, she had become a little violent, you know, and out of control. And I was by myself. No, no one was helping me. I ended up putting her voluntarily into foster care for six months. So because I didn't have insurance there and the school wasn't helping with like something's wrong. All they're doing is calling me saying there's something wrong with your kid. Come to the school. Well, I'm a single mom trying to work too, <laughs> pay bills. And I ended up doing that, but she was tested and treated through, um, the children's hospital at that time, we referred to a really good psychologist and began to help me understand what she needed um, and then helped her farther along on the process of healing. And then we got things nailed down. It hasn't been easy. I mean, but the one thing that I, I did do throughout her life, always openly talked about it as something that just happened didn't emotionally charge it, didn't make her or anyone else wrong over it. Just this is what happened, you know, and it helped some until she she started having relationships with men. Then it was up to her to continue her counseling. But, you know, I, I never wanted her to feel like something was wrong with her because it happened. And I mean, at such a young age, it's like, you know, that that really does make an impact on your life. Um, 
And that, that also like, that leads me into like, cause you help a lot of women. You've helped tens of thousands of women um, since you've been in business and men. Uh, yeah. And you, um, you know, as a spiritual teacher and coach, like what is the one thing that you want women to know specifically? You have a voice. So many women and men, but so many women we have been, especially, especially depending on what culture you came from. And I'm, I'm from an Asian background. It was programmed into us that we are to be seen and not heard, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're too emotional and you're too sensitive and nobody's talking to you. And it still goes on in the corporate culture, right? There's been books and all kinds of things written about how women typically even in the boardroom are not listened to. So we, we have to then empower ourselves as women tell ourselves, yes, I have a right to have my opinion, have my feelings and voice that express that out into the world. As, as we do that, we give permission to girls, young girls coming up, young women coming up to do the same thing. So use your voice. Don't be afraid of it. And that's so important because I find myself sometimes not like, I've I've always been a little outspoken, but I'll, I'll find myself a little more reserved in certain situations that I shouldn't necessarily be, but that was more so younger as a child. Now, now I, I definitely speak up for things, but when it comes to, um, dealing with trauma like that, it, it's hard to find your voice. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that have dealt with traumatic things and they, they live through their trauma. Like it's, it's continual. So it's like, it makes it worse for them. Do you see that happen? I think the worst thing about trauma and what keeps it alive is silence and shame. Victims of abuse and domestic violence and and traumatic childhoods, any kind of um, violence, it literally comes down to the silence and the shame. You suffer in your own shame because you're afraid of what people are going to think about you. That was the hardest part of writing this book because there's so many stories that I, I literally had to go back through my entire childhood to heal myself in order to be the best mother I could be to my daughter. Right. And break, just break the patterning because it wasn't the first woman in my family to experience abuse. It had gone on for several generations, but I'm like, no, it stops with me. This stops here and now, period. And it was talking about it. And now, even more so, like it's out in the wild. My book's out there. Everything I've ever decided in a big way, not all of my stories, but a lot of them are out there. And, and the freedom that comes with speaking about what's happened to you, not only empowers you and and takes the emotional charge out of those events for yourself, but it gives permission to others who've been through similar things to do the same. I, um, I think I I spoke with someone else about that. Like when it, it was a speech, a speaking coach and how it's so important to make sure you've healed from what you've gone through before you talk about it. So you can come up strong. And that's that's one of the really important things for me too is having guests on my on my show. I just 
I want to make sure people have truly healed from their traumas so they can help my listeners. Um, because I've, I, you know, I've met with a lot of other women that are, they, they see, still seem like they're stuck and I'm not, I'm not judging anybody for their process, but it's like, there are some things that people have to work on before they just speak about them. And so I understand why it took you seven years to write this book because build going back through things that you may have forgotten, you know, in your childhood. I kept good journals. That's the one thing through my healing and something that I, I would offer to anyone who's going through something, write it out. Like there's, there is a cathartic process in writing down privately your experiences. It allows you to process on a much deeper level and no one ever has to see them, but I, I've journaled since I was a kid. So writing the book, I just had to find the old journals. (laughs) They were all dated, right? So it was fairly easy to put them together and then write the story. Um, The biggest part of it, I mean, I'm very busy. I'm a single mom right? I support my family. My father lives with me. So, and I have a very busy clientele. So it's, it's not like I have time to just sit around and write. It took a lot of time because there's always a lot going on in my life. And there was something um, that didn't feel finished. So there was probably three years where I didn't touch the book. It had gone to an editor. She sent some stuff and I didn't like her changes. So I trashed all of it, even though I paid for it and went back to editing myself. But there was a couple of years I didn't touch it. And I knew there was something else that needed to happen before I could finish the story. And what ended up happening um, is my ex-husband, my first husband, love of my life, committed suicide. And that kind of put the finishing touch on the book. Like I couldn't write the last chapter and I could, I couldn't figure it out. And that's what it was. As soon as that happened and I found out about it, I was like, that's what it was. Yeah. Wow. And what happened with your first husband? Um, we married very young uh, and he was in the Marine Corps. We lived in Orange, California. And when we met, we had an amazing relationship until some things started happening and his family, who's from the East coast from Maryland, apparently were very racist. And I would not really, I mean, growing up in California, it's a melting pot, mm-hmm. you know? I, yeah. I've had kids on the playground throw dirt clods at me. And, you know, when I was like five years old, six years old, and I remember these, these really mean kids were throwing dirt clods and saying, you know, Chinaman, Chinaman go home. And I was like, why are they saying that? but that was the most I'd ever experienced there. When we got married after about a year, um, we went home to meet his grandparents and his grandmother met me and she was shocked. She had never seen a picture of me. I didn't know. And then threatened to disinherit him. So it began this series of just complicated BS and he wouldn't stand up against her. And I didn't understand. And then when she threatened to disinherit him and they're very wealthy, I was like, I'm not going to be responsible for that. You know, she was really rude. Like she's dead now, but. Hey, do you want to join this conversation? Do you have input that you would love to give? Join Level Up With Live Facebook community for badass spiritual women. It's all about accountability and motivation. And we talk about these podcasts as well.
A link to join is in the show notes below. Asian hate has been brought up in 2020. And um, I was actually, I was born a Buddhist, a Nishin Daishonin Buddhist. So I was raised around a lot of Japanese and Korean people. Um, so I was not taught to be that way. I was, I grew up on the East Coast as well. But I've, as I've gotten older, I've started to notice some of the things that um, older people, because of Vietnam and Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. and most of everybody's family was in the military, that generation and they they really feel some type of way about that so it's like have you I know this is not the same thing but have you noticed more an increase in Asian hate I have over the last few years it's been it's been very interesting because I actually have a lot of um, clients from the Hmong community which I've I've really embraced learning about their culture um, because their country was overtaken by communist China. And then they had to emigrate to Laos and then they came, a lot of them came to the US. And so it's been interesting to see even in their communities because they, a lot of them um, live in Minneapolis. So during that whole George Floyd thing, and then there was a couple of Hmong people in their community that got killed during the race wars and whatever that was going on last year. It's been interesting to watch. Um, and sad, just really sad that people still have this, you're different than me attitude, but yes, it's been a thing. And, and the Asians are an unrepresented class in so many ways. I mean, you have a lot of people that focus on Latino rights and then African-American indigenous, the Asians have not been, if you look into Hollywood too, until crazy rich Asians was released there's very few Asians working in Hollywood, right? And then you had Mulan released. And now finally you're starting to see Asians get some time, right? But most Asians or mixed race Asians will tell you, like, we don't feel like we fit in anywhere, which sucks. And so there's that added, that added stigma of you're different. Now I'm a psychic that always made me different. And it wasn't celebrated when I was a kid. In fact, it was considered evil, but then you add all these other things onto it. And in the Asian culture, even most Asian cultures, men are celebrated. Mm -hmm. Women are second class citizens, you know? So my hope and my intention for all of my work has been to empower the voices of those who are downtrodden give them a voice. When I, um, when I learned more about Afghanistan, um, and just, I, I've been, since, since starting this podcast, I've been learning so much more about other cultures. I had a, a woman on for that has, uh, diversity boxes for kids and it's different countries because there's so many different cultures and people just lump these groups up. Like the fact that we call it Asian hate is annoying to me because there are so, it's not like they're going against Indians. You know, it's not like they're going, it, 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 it's just, they're going against certain types, but how women are seen in the Eastern world and how women are seen in the Western world are completely different. Completely different. Yeah. And 
it's like we we have we have so much more voices here but the women you know in afghanistan learning that they're not even going to be able to go to school at after the age of nine just blows my mind yeah yeah it's there's so many issues that are out there like that which is why all women of all cultures need to stick together and bolster each other up, support one another, cheerlead one another and say to each other, you have a, you have a purpose. You have a voice. Use it for every woman and every unborn woman (laughs) because we need to change the narrative. We really do. And, you know, we, this, the separatist idea that we have is what what's keeping us so far apart. And I mean, going forward, what do you, what do you think are, is going to help the United States in general, you know, uh, since that's where we live, you live in Texas. I live in um, the St. Louis area. You know, what do you think that we need to do? So what's very interesting to me, even with the latest elections of, of with all these women coming into roles, leadership roles, right? Um, I really feel like it is time for every woman, whatever you're driven to do, start a podcast, write a blog, write a book, go speak in front of crowds, you know, show people that we aren't these emotional beings that can't be trusted because we have a cycle, you know, which is what in, in corporate America and, and across the board, even in school has been this thing, you know, well, women are emotional. That's not a bad thing. That's actually what's needed now. Empathy is needed. Now there are corporations that are paying for training of empathic leadership, you know, that sort of thing. So like, as far as healing it, it is voice, stand up for yourself and and give yourself a voice and get out there and get involved. Don't sit home and do nothing. You can sit at your computer and make a huge difference. You can write a blog. You can make a huge difference. We all have our circle of influence and the feminine is rising right now. It's, It's being called forth in the U S especially, I feel like, but across the board, the women are, are the ones that have always saved society and many cultures. It's the women who are looked to as the, the wise sages, you know, in many cultures, other cultures, not so much. Yeah, we, we definitely need some help. Now we talked before about your mother um, and how she was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you, like when you were, you know, cause when you're growing up, you don't know that. No. How did you, how did you discover that she was? Yeah, I got, I was involved in a narcissistic relationship in 2015 and I ended up with colon cancer and along comes this guy. We went to counseling because I needed to learn how to meet his needs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the counselor pulled me aside and said, I want you to go home and look up narcissism. And I did. I was like, oh my God, this is what's happening to me right now. But on top of it, it gave a label to what my mom was. And for the first time, I finally realized like it wasn't me. I wasn't the reason she couldn't love me. 
she had this. I mean, she had been diagnosed with bipolar, but that never felt like the real reason why she acts the way she acts. But the narcissist label absolutely did. And it gave me great healing and relief to know like, yeah, it's not me. And it gave me the ability to break away one final time with love and forgiveness, but knowing this is toxic for me. It will always be toxic for me. So I broke up with that person. I healed my cancer and I broke up with my mother one final time. I mean, it did been on and off my whole life. I was raised by my dad mostly, but yeah. I almost, I I started learning about autism Mm -hmm. and, you know, just people on the spectrum and highly functioning people on the spectrum. And I started to think, well, you know what? I think a lot of people that might be autistic are wrongly labeled as narcissists are, they can often become narcissists. You know, one in four children are diagnosed with like on the spectrum now. And it literally, it's, it, it, this has been a new discovery I've had because I've just been, I have someone in my life that I'm like, you know what, there is something off. They're not emotionally available. It's always about them and what other, they only care about what other people can do for them in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, how, how do you differentiate the two? That's an, I wish they would do a study on that because I think there is some crossover for sure. I think that it can absolutely, um, affect someone's behavior, the psychology of a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, the lines that are drawn are very clear. Um, can an autistic person high functioning become narcissistic? Absolutely. But is it always the case? No, right. No, they, they just, they have access to their emotions, but like most autistics have are very sensitive to emotional energy period, but how they process and are they introverted? Are they more, you know what I mean? Like, are they living in their own world? It can come across as narcissistic. I don't think, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't studied it, but that's very interesting. Yeah. It's, I, I've got this, this case in my life, but I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm just like, so here's oh. what's interesting too. Um, spirit told me years ago that narcissists are actually empaths who were injured, wounded at some level, whether psychologically, emotionally, physically, whatever, and chose to shut down their emotions. Their coping strategy was to shut down all feeling. And we always pair up with someone who has what we need. So narcissists are always attracted to empaths. Why? We have what they don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They use us as food too to feed their narcissism. But if you take it even a step further, I actually think that it's that mirror they're looking for to see what's possible for them. So, yeah, I believe that narcissists actually were empaths. They shut it down or it got shut down. That part of them that could associate with others, have empathy for others, it shut down in them. Doesn't mean that we try to heal them though. That's the most important thing. I always tell my clients, like, just because you understand that that's the case, doesn't mean that you hang out in abusive relationships and let it be like, mm, no, 
narcissists are very difficult to change. <laughs> like, and it's not your job. Right. And they have to want to everyone. If there's any change in their life, they have to want to make the change for themselves. But if what they're doing is working for them, why would they ever change? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, a lot of times it's like, you know, it, they'll, they'll always play the victim. I mean, with, when you said goodbye to your mother, how was, how was that whole situation? When I said goodbye to her? Mm-hmm. Um, like any other time. I mean, I, I don't know that she cared so much about me saying goodbye and blocking her. There wasn't a big production about it. We, we exchanged emails because she sent an email out. I was watching Facebook posts about my cancer and she was gaining attention for it. And I was like, what are you doing? But it was upsetting my kids because I'm like, look, they're friends with you on Facebook. Stop this. You're triggering them. And we got into it and she sent this email one night. And I mean, I'm in the middle of treating cancer naturally, which is a lot harder than going through with doctors. And I read this email and it starts out, goes, go peacefully into the night. My daughter, oh, like, who are you talking to right now? Drama queen? Like, what is your point? I'm not going to die. And don't speak those things out there. And I was like, I'm done with you. And I blocked her across all, like everything, told my kids, block her, take her off. And that was it. So there wasn't any conversation or anything. It was just, that's it. I'm done. And I told her, I sent her an email and just said, I don't even understand where you're coming from or why. And I don't care to, I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the time for it, but this is the last time I love you, but I'm doing it from a distance from here on out. Yeah. I think that's, and I think that's really how you have to handle narcissists. You just got to love them for, from a distance. It's, you know, it's not like you don't like it's they're toxic for you. And yeah. you got to love yourself more. And anybody listening to this, you have to love yourself more than you care about pleasing that other person. Absolutely. And the, the interesting thing was it took her upsetting my kids for me to finally say enough. <laughs> Just stop. You know, you mess with me. I can handle it. You mess with my kids. Now you're going to see the part of me that you don't ever want to see. Cause I get fierce when it comes to my kids. How did you heal yourself from colon cancer? Like that's so interesting to me. A lot of different um, things. So I had endometriosis that breached my abdominal wall. I left, let it go for several years till I couldn't anymore. Cause I was barely able to eat. Um, and there was a mass that was pretty big. Um, and I go into detail in the book, kind of like, there's so many different things, miraculous things, like being introduced to some Native Americans that became my family. Um, and they did ceremony for me and gave me a lot of herbs. And consistently I layered, um, I lived in Colorado at the time. So I layered some medicinal marijuana patches right on the tumor and took CBN. I was going to ozone therapy with hydro, um, colonics, doing enemas like six times a day and took a ton of supplements. I mean, I had healed from leukemia naturally too, several times before this. So it's not like I didn't have any experience in healing. And then I have uh, a machine that, that does some energetics that can help, you know, send frequencies to the body to remind the body what healthy tissue is like, but changed my diet completely went to where I barely ate anything, no sugar, no bread, no 
dairy. No, <laughs> like, it was so bland, but it worked. It took a while, but it worked. How long did it take? Um, so from March and then I got the final all clear in December of 2015. Yeah. But that, I mean, it had been like that and I kind of did some things off and on to keep it at bay for several years. I mean, it's not like I didn't know it was there. My doctor who was very holistic, she's just like, we have to do something and we can't remove it like surgically because it, it's breached now from your uterus into your abdominal wall. I'm like, okay, what's all this mean? <laughs> you know, and I'm not into radiation and chemo. I'm just, I know that if that ever goes into my body, I'm gone. My body's very chemically sensitive. So had to find a way. And I did. I think that's, that's probably one of the most impressive things that I've heard from you is that you've healed yourself from leukemia and colon cancer, like that, you know, naturally. And I've, I've been watching a lot of other things too, about how um, I feel like we're under this new world order almost where, cause I'm really anti big pharma um, and we're, we're fed food that isn't real. Mm -hmm. Even our produce is modified um, and we're then supposed to go to doctors that put us on pills that put us for part of the cycle where of dependency on mm -hmm. our government. The fact that we have to have insurance by law and the insurance companies are backed by the government, that, that's a problem. And no one seems to like to talk about that. Oh, no, they do. But they're getting censored. They're absolutely getting censored. It's a very interesting topic because right now, um, my father, who will be 80 next week, has been diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. And, you know, I've been telling him, I'm like, Dad, you, this is about food. Like, you know that we can fix this because he's lost 30 points on his GFR and, and he's down, I think he's like stage four kidney disease now, before you go dialysis, I'm like, we can fix this. His doctor yesterday. And he said, is there anything I can do to reverse this? And the doctor said, no. And I said, that's because they don't know. Doctors aren't required to study nutrition as part of their medical training. They are not, and they don't treat for cure. They treat the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Well, until you get to the root of anything, you're not going to be able to take care of it. And the, where holistic medicine and natural health, it's about get to the root of it, clean up the root. You're going to fix all the symptoms. So it's, we have to be our best advocates when it comes to our health and what we put into our body is first and foremost, you know, period. So what would you suggest, you know, people eat now that, everything is find a way to grow your own vegetables. Cause you know, what's going into them. You know, if there's fertilizer, you know, what kind of fertilizer, right? Get heirloom seeds. They're full on available. I had a farm for a long time. Um, when I lived in Cal Colorado, I had a greenhouse and we grew almost all of our food. We had chickens, we had goats for the goat meat. And then I had my gardens and Part of it just started as like, 
I want to see if I can do this. I don't think I have a green thumb. And then it was like, holy cow, I can do this. This is not that hard. It doesn't matter where you live. You can grow your own food. There are lights that you can grow inside too. You can do hydroponics, but be responsible for what you're putting in your body and, and get more self-sustaining as self-sustaining as you possibly can, but you can do it in an apartment. You can do it in a home with a big yard. It doesn't really matter. Just do it because then you're in control of what's going in your body. And if you can't garden right away, go get organic vegetables, wash those things, but local, there's plenty of local farmer markets that are selling, you know, homegrown produce. Yeah. I've started shopping at the farmer's markets more often um, and also just getting the, uh, my meats that are the organic, not nearly as free range, you know, no antibiotics. Range. Yeah. All of that stuff, because it's, I, as I get older, I'm just starting to see how much food really changes our lives. Food and- is medicine. Mm-hmm. But we've been trained that medicine is supposed to heal us. And it's not true. The food is the medicine. What we drink is the medicine or it's toxic and it's poison. But medication that's synthetic. I mean, I had to go to three doctors to prescribe natural um, thyroid medication. Three different doctors. And I was self-pay at the time. They would not prescribe it to this day. I have a hard time, had a hard time finding a doctor who would prescribe it. We don't prescribe that. Why? It takes a prescription. Why do you want to put me on the synthetic when there's a natural desiccated thyroid? Why? It works just fine for me. My numbers are good. We don't prescribe that. Okay. Well, there's a problem. What difference does it make to you? Which one I decide to put in my body? Is it because you're getting a kickback? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It it really the way our world is, I, I maybe I'm just waking up to to how things are. But I mean the pandemic really did show me. I was like, most of the food that was out that, that was gone was the processed food. And like mm-hmm. do people not realize that you should not be buying a bunch of this processed crap. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, then I started to notice, okay, now some of the healthy food's gone. I'm like, okay, now I'm, now I'm worried, <laughs> but still it's just, um, I think we're, we're in the age of, we, we do need to be more self-sustaining and more responsible for, for where we get stuff. I mean, if there's one thing that, that even the shipping containers being held back should show everybody is you can't rely on the grocery store to always be there. You just can't. Mm -mm. Anything can happen. Look at what happened with the pandemic. Anything can happen. So it's better to have some backup. I mean, if you go to the grocery store, then learn how to can stuff. It's actually kind of fun to do it, you know, but then you're still, if you buy the organics and then you get them, you freeze them or you can them. Now you're storing up for your supply and you're not having to worry if there's a run on the grocery store. People have been preserving food for hundreds of years. So, yeah, I think that that's one of the things we need to go back to basics. A lot of um, technology has, you know, made my generation for sure, just so dependent on 
people freaked out when Facebook was down for 12 hours. And I'm mm-hmm. like, guys, what, what do you do with your lives? Like yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't even freaked out. I'm like, come on. It wasn't even that long, but it's, it's the dependency and always wanting to be entertained. So I have some, I had, I asked spirit cause that whole Facebook thing, I was in the recording studio, finishing up the audiobook when that happened. So I didn't even know about it till I got home. And I asked spirit, so something was sitting funny with that. I was like, what is this about? They've been down all day. Facebook's gone down for a couple hours, but all day, what, what's going on really? And yeah, there's the whistleblower stuff with social media, but think about it from this point. And this is just a question to query right? What if they did remove social media? We wouldn't have real-time knowledge of what's going on across the world. If they remove the ability for us to connect on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you can pretty much pull off anything you want because we're no longer communicating globally in real time. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because it was WhatsApp too. Yeah, it was everything that Facebook owned. Their their people couldn't even get into the job. And one of my friends that works in tech, she was like, I think they got hacked just like the pipeline did. And they had to pay somebody off. And it was just quiet. Possibly, or they're Mm -hmm. running to social experiments right now to see what they can get away with. My friend was telling me this morning, she's in Australia and she was saying like, I have to get the jab now because you can't go to the grocery store and go shopping if you don't have a card. Yeah. This, this vaccine thing, it's, it's, it's becoming a much, I started, since you mentioned Australia, I started looking up, um, their mice problem. They've had their mice infestation for like, since for like seven months now. And um, since their winter came, it like went down, but it's their, their mice are about to come back. And I'm like, no, for first off, nobody could pay me to live in Australia. I, I can't stand rodents, but I'm like, why, why isn't, are these, these are natural disasters. And we're the, the only thing I could find was like from sept a month ago, that was the most recent thing I could find from Australian news. I'm like, that's those carry so much disease. Just yeah. that issue that they're having alone on top of the wildfires that they had last year and all of the other natural disasters that have happened this year. But what, what do you see on the news? We're, we're complaining about pronouns and um, it's just the vaccine. It's get the vaccine. Oh, COVID numbers are going down. I don't understand how these numbers are going down when nobody's wearing a mask. Like, and, and the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting it or transmitting it. Yeah, no. It's lived its natural cycle now. It's starting to come down. Vaccines don't work. I mean, they've already said that. Enough people have been able to get that out before they censor. The reality is if after the first or two vaccines, you still have to get a third booster and then what, a fourth and a fifth? Like, what is the big deal? Why do you want to, why do you want everyone there? Well, it changes your RNA. Your RNA is the opening to your DNA. It pops open your DNA. I don't want anyone messing with my RNA or my DNA. Like that's just, it's crazy to me 
that people aren't asking more questions. And I'm not saying I'm anti-vax or I'm pro-vax. I'm neither. I know what I am for my body. You do what you want with your body, but you don't get to tell me I have to put that stuff in me. Period. Uh, The fact that they're making it um, be more mandatory. Now I got the vaccine um, and it was for selfish reasons because I did not want to be inconvenienced. I knew I was going to be traveling and I'm like, I want to just be able to travel. I feel like they're going to make it so I can't. Well, the first day after the first shot, I was extremely suicidal. I had to talk myself off the ledge. Like it took me all day. One of my other friends, it took her three days. I'm extremely mentally strong. So to have to really like talk myself off the ledge like that, I was like, okay, this is, this is not normal. How many other people went through that and didn't say anything because people don't talk about mental health or when they're feeling off. I have a friend that um, is in his late thirties, early forties, ended up with the myocarditis and now he's got permanent health, da- heart damage. I've had a lot of other people get autoimmune diseases that were germ- dormant and then pop up after they got the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but, but, but when you talk, I can't about get that, it. I mean, I can't. Cause I'm allergic to like, I, I get anaphylactic shock, right. When I get stung by a bee, I can't get it because they've had people die from anaphylactic shock when they get it. So I can't get it. My dad can't get it. He's, he's got AFib. He gets blood clots. So there's that like from the medical exemption standpoint, but I just, I don't judge anyone for getting it. I just really wish people understood what it is and for them to mandate it when in fact they're still not treating people properly when they do get it within this country and a couple others and yet other countries are successfully treating it when people get it is telling Mm -hmm. it's telling it's like okay we'll wake up people yeah we go it's all a part of the system anyway Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. You know, we, we talked about so much. We talked about narcissists. We talked about your book. We talked about what's going on in the world. Um, vaccines. I mean, yeah, we talked about a lot. Aside from the vaccines uh-huh. and stuff, that's all in my book. Like the narcissist, the spiritual stuff, the abuse stuff, like that's all in the book. So, yeah. And I have the, it's on, is it on your website? your book. Yes. You can, you can get the links for the book on my website or just Google it, but my website's bernadettegold.com. Just go to the book tab and all of the links are there. And that's guys that's linked in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening. And thank Thank you so much Bernadette for joining me today. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the empowered woman, badass and unfiltered podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.